Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. I love when white dudes get mad and cuss, because right? y'all some funny motherfuckers when you cuss. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. And I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. Nina, if you had to register with the government to watch porn, would you do it? Um, well, I don't know. I'm registered to be an organ donor. (laughs) (laughs) Is is that kind of similar? (laughs) I think in some ways it is, right? Because you have the same problem with people signing up. Um, and in countries where it's automatic that you're already on the organ donor registry unless you opt out, um, you get much higher <laughs> rates of people um, signing up to be an organ donor. So what we're talking about, and by the way, this is Nina Stolominga. <laughs> yeah, how do you pronounce your name? Uh, no, Pizarro's the only one who can do it right. Even my parents never taught me right, <laughs> I realize now. Is it some really harsh German sort of anti-Semitic you have, you have to you have to hate Jews when when you say it when you say strong yeah yeah but it's a self loathing no, Jew sort of thing <laughs> but it's ger not jur is that right no it's jur this it's is embarrassing uh, yeah it's like Kim, it's well no it's like Kim Basinger I always forget every single time I always forget weren't Kim you Basinger? her advisor I think I still am <laughs> we don't he doesn't he usually only screams out my first name. So, yeah, what we're talking about is apparently in Britain, this is something that I think our listeners need to know because this could, you know, this could happen in America. They are instituting a rule where you have to opt in to be able to watch porn. So porn will be blocked on your computer and then you can email or call a number and say, I would like to be registered for the porn list. And oh. and then that will allow you to watch porn. Wait, so do you have uh, to call? Like, I mean, if you, I feel like if you can send it as an anonymous sort of email, like it's easier. You know, like if you have to order a pizza, yeah, it's also I agree. easier. No, but the whole point is you have to be identified or else they don't know who to send the porn to. Well, you're but identified, I mean, but I think th- I feel that part of part of the difficulty is not that your name is associated with it, but the actual, you know, experience of having to go face to face with someone in uh, real time and ask for it. Right. Right, you can't wear a trench coat over the phone. <laughs> like you would in a, you can, well, uh, like I do when I write also, all of my emails. Yeah. If if you're, you know, if you're with somebody, Right. You know, all of a sudden they realize for whatever reason. And you could see like the woman or the man checking to see if the partner had opted in or not. <laughs> Is it like a public database and that's what they're going to no, do? I don't, I don't think public. so. No, no, no. But they live together so they can be on the computer and then you right, just like type in like... If you can like, access computer porn from your house internet, then you <laughs> know that your significant <laughs> other registered. That's you right. You, it was know an accident. Your, you could say, I don't know how that happened, honey. I, I tripped and error. fell on the number in the exact combination. 
<laughs> I, you know, I, I think that you should have to register for the specific kind of porn that you want to watch. Yeah. To be like, I really, I really want to watch like lesbian midgets, and so you, <laughs> you have to dial a specific number for that. <laughs> sorry, some of my best friends are lesbian midgets. Yeah, that's offensive, David. It's, I'm sorry, it's lesbian I'm sorry. little people, little. which is hot. But the, <laughs> the, the the prime minister's point of view is: look, you should be able to be honest. This is a way of keeping kids off porn. He, the whole thing is, like, imagine if you're a teenager right now and you have access to this amount of porn. We can't do this. Like, the, is that going to just mess up your sex life forever? Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> you know, is that the goal? Is is the goal to to keep kids uh, off of porn? So it's, like, presumably it's the you have to like. Yes, yeah, so Presumably, you have to have proof of a like age, some sort of age verification. Uh, you don't have to have proof for anything. I, if you had to have proof, then why not just make it the default is once you turn eighteen, then you can access it. I feel like that's why I feel like the the whole goal is to secretly get people to not be able to watch porn or to have to endure shame yeah. in order to to watch porn. Yeah, that's a secret sneaky tactic by the British. I mean, God invented private browsers for a reason, <laughs> and uh, I was, think this uh, is a tactic. It was it was actually Jesus, but I won't take it. <laughs> <laughs> this this is what the Daily Beast says, and they convinced that the tsunami of porn on the internet is damaging young people. He has pressured ISPs to impose a preset parental control filter on all domestic internet connections. So the tsunami of porn is That's damaging. That's too soon for a tsunami. I think it's more of a know? hurricane, really. <laughs> it's like, like a typhoon sloppy. of yeah, Nana. Uh, a, a cornucopia. <laughs> A pornocopia. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so uh, our I, special guest is Nina Strominger. Nina is... What's your official position right now, Nina? Um, I'm a postdoctoral Post- associate. At Duke, right? Duke University, yes. You may know Nina from such wonderful uh, podcast appearances as... Her wonderful, what was it, like two minutes of advice to grad students Something, set yeah. to a dope beat? Yeah, yeah Pizarro it, set it to a beat. And that's, yeah, that's, only, that's only a little small slice of her internet fame. Nina is internet famous for another reason we'll talk about maybe now. I actually am famous on the internet for a variety of reasons, but always under a different <laughs> pseudonym. Uh, uh, well, yeah, Nina was, was got famous for trashing Colin McGinn before it was fashionable to trash Colin McGinn. Or justified. No, <laughs> or called for, right? It's moral luck. It's moral luck that you, that it's justified. Okay. She, of course, wrote the famous. I mean, this is world. Everybody knows of this review that you wrote of his book on disgust. Seriously, I don't think I'll ever write anything that uh, that is that famous. <laughs> And, and it's very famous for its last line, which everybody quotes. Sometimes with books, as with farts, it's better just to hold it in. Spoil- we should have given a spoiler alert. It's right, because it could have been a positive a review. <laughs> <laughs> Up to that famous point, it could like have been. Really, really... You know, slobberingly positive review that I wrote, and then you just and then you just like zinger at the end, and then it's just right. Oh God, she didn't she didn't like it. I, I, I feel given that statement, I deserve a lot of praise for the books that I have not written. <laughs> I have held in quite a few bad books, but, but very few farts, if I remember correctly. From. But I, the whole review is hilarious, and I think one of the best things that you do is quote McGinn. Quote, like, obviously we haven't read this book. We don't even 
read books that we like that we're reviewing. I kind of read it. You read uh, his disgust book? I mean, I read it quickly, you know, yeah. but okay. it you was didn't... tainted by Nina's review. You read it like you've read my book. <laughs> yeah. No, no, more than that. <laughs> Come on, don't be a dick. Uh, let me just read some of the things that you quote from the book. Pubic hair is referred to as, quote, nature's furry bounty. Uh, somebody needs to trim. <laughs> Semen is a pointless, sticky daub once it is spilled on the ground, only to be consumed there by unfussy insects or whatever. <laughs> Because of the fussy insects as opposed to the fussy insects. Here's another yeah. quote. The rectum is a grave. And then you put in bracket quote, obviously. But is the grave also a rectum? <laughs> With corpse featuring as large turds. <laughs> what is that? Modus ponens? <laughs> Which one is that? And finally, sex. And you say that is penis and vagina sex, and it's good that you clarified. A tumor and a wound are violently combined in a vital act to produce a fresh life, itself redolent of death. I don't think any of us can what? deny the eroticism of that passage. In fact, I'm so I- glad you can't see where my hands are. <laughs> I-, I-, I need like 10 minutes. I'll be, I'll be back. Oh, wait, you're like 45. You need like 30 minutes, dude. <laughs> you need to opt in to buy Colin McGinsey. <laughs> Um, Nina's uh, review is after internet fame is finally getting published. When is it? When is it going to appear? The, the uh, review in soon. actual print uh, soon. Yeah. Um, with along with a bunch of commentary. So my review is basically being published. Uh, it's been repurposed as a Target article. Um, which means that then all the commentators were sending their articles back to me, and then I'm actually publishing a comment on their comments, which uh, I'm currently so meta. revising. Yeah, I know it's insane. Does that um, ever happen so, that a review is a I is don't a target know, article? Yeah. I don't think so. In any case, well done. Yeah. Very well done. And let's use this as a bridge, as a segue, to talk about your work on disgust and more broadly speaking negative emotions and humor no it was me frank do i fucking make jizz in your magazine what when i fucking jack off long enough i end up jizzing dude i'm assuming the same shit works for you real fucking smart answer why don't you fucking aim huh i have a particularly explosive ejaculate it just goes everywhere it's like a fucking wild fireman's hose she's gonna grab on and pray to god doesn't get in your eyes or your mouth the fuck kind of drunken off is that? What, you never had any brothers? You didn't learn to jizz in a fucking sock or on a fucking tissue? No, I don't have any brothers. I was raised in a house of women. I highly doubt they fucking taught you to fucking close your eyes and fucking come wherever you want. All right, so that was a clip from This Is The End. I chose that <laughs> clip because it is it involves two sort of negative emotions. The disgust that you might have from Danny McBride coming everywhere in your house. Also, uh, anger. James Franco is angry. You put those negative emotions together and you get humor. <laughs> How about that for draining all the humor out of it? <laughs> Analyze. So, okay. So, you know, you study this stuff. I think I'm different from Tamler. Like, I actually don't like too much disgust in my humor. How do you actually feel about it? You know, do I laugh? Are you humor? asking me whether I, I laugh at dirty jokes? No, whether you like like scatological disgusting humor because dirty could mean oh, sexual, sexual or whatever. Oh. Like like when you toss in poop into a joke, does it make it funnier for you? It makes it funnier. I'm ashamed of it. I, I'm not proud of the fact that I'm laughing, but I am laughing. Yeah. Why are you ashamed of it? <laughs> well, because you. Yeah, everyone's... We have to explain what shame is to Tamla. <laughs> it's like it's like one of those emotions that's not. So. 
<clears throat> the shame actually comes from, I think, the fact that we view it as a cheap way to get laughs. So it, it's almost because it's so effective and so, you know, not cerebral um, that you can just toss in a fart joke and then people will laugh right. and it's not very complex like- and it's easy. Just end your sentence. If it didn't get a laugh, just say poop. Well, yeah. Like, but but as an artist yourself, would you feel ashamed in using Lois Comden like that kind of? Well, you paint vaginas, uh, right? Paint I mean, vaginas. I, I mean, not literally like of a woman's vagina, but I'll do a, a representation of her vagina. I won't put paint on it. Like a perform, <laughs> like a performance art. Like, no, I don't understand. No, no. She's like the Georgia O'Keeffe of, you know. <laughs> well, this is actually something that I, I've, you know, I've spent some time thinking about, although I try not to, you know, get too bogged down in it. But, you know, just painting a be- beautiful people uh, or nudes, for example, is a cheap way to, um, to represent beauty. Um, right? It's uh, pretty straightforward. doesn't require a lot of creativity. And uh, But in that sense, like all still, like even like a still life bowl of fruit yeah, would suffer from the right. same thing. But not because it's... Well, no. So I thought what your question was is, are you conflicted in general about, you know, just going for what's a cheap way to succeed um, in the chosen medium? It's, so it's not specifically about the disgust that's aroused by this. Like So, so what is your theory of uh, since now in... Uh, about disgust and negative emotions and humor, Nina? My theory. <laughs> well, you wrote a well, paper, right? I, I, <laughs> that's, a damn th- that's a damn thing to ask a social psychologist. <laughs> what, what are the sentences, that, what are the topic sentences? I mean, you did send paper? us a paper to... <laughs> I know, the paper, had, the paper had data and it had a result, which is unexpected. So I feel that you know, the fact that these negative emotions can lead to positive experiences goes against a huge swath of social psychology and emotions research right now. And so it's enough that it calls into question a lot of the most popular emotion theories right now. Um, but it doesn't right. necessarily, it just sort of, oh, uh, because there's a, the idea is that if you feel good, um, then you're going to act good, and then you're going to make good decisions, and then you're going to like things more. And in fact, what would even be the point of affective valence, that is to say, feeling bad or feeling good, if not to engender this sort of specific um, uh, uh, response potential, such that feeling good means you continue doing something because something is going well. That's supposedly why the emotion exists, and same same goes for when you feel bad. So if there are cases where you feel bad, and then this causes you to like and experience more, this is a puzzle. So mirth, or like the laughter, is thought to take away some of the negative health effects of stress and, and all this stuff because it, it makes you unable to feel negative emotions. Um, but so Nina, what you're saying is that that, that the shit is funny because of, in large part, because of the negative emotion. So that's this is like con- the negative emotions are contributing to a positive general state. Well, so which aspect of disgust or uh, the other sort of negative emotions that I've looked at is actually contributing to the greater enjoyment is unclear. Now, I think it would be really cool if it is um, this sort of negative, that like gross, icky feeling, and that actually is why we're laughing. Um, but, you know, there could be other reasons. So, for example, just it could just be general arousal. Right. Um, I don't think that's a very satisfying answer, but that, that could be what's going on. Right, or it could just... Misattribution of arousal. Right, right. Um, now, misattribution. Yeah. So there's a tradition in social psychology that... Um, 
that when you're aroused, you, you can mistake that arousal for, uh, sort of your specific current situation. Like you, you basically, the theory is that what an emotion is, is physiological arousal combined with some sort of cognitive appraisal of the environment. And so if you are, if your heart is racing and some guy just insulted you, you, you infer that you're angry or you actually have anger. But if your heart is racing and it's because a very attractive person walked by, then you, you assume that you are actually feeling attraction. So there's all these studies in social psychology where you can like put people on a treadmill and get their physiological arousal get going up and they will uh, mistake that arousal for say they'll rate a female confederate. The man will rate a female confederate as more attractive if they've just been on a treadmill, which presumably is irrational. And, and so, so you're attributing the arousal from one thing uh, to another thing. You think that the source of your arousal is. So what would be the misattribution in this case? So you're grossed out, you're feeling all the symptoms and you assume that it's actually hilarity, <laughs> I guess. Is that right? Right. I mean, that that's the argument. I mean, it's not the argument that I would make, but it's certainly um, an argument that one could make. Um, another argument is um, that, you know, maybe it's something about, like, feeling discomfort or the awkwardness, um, and this causes a sort of nervousness, like a nervous laughter. Um, yeah, tension release, and then it, yeah, right, and then it kind of feeds into these tension release theories of humor. But it's not a nervous laugh, like with that with that clip, right? For me, anyway, it's not a nervous laughter. It's just pure laughter. It's funny. Yeah. So why? So so, given your powers of introspection as a philosopher, why do you, why do you think that gross stuff is funnier? Are you talking to me? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only philosopher. Here. I'm not the one that wrote the paper. <laughs> no, but you just made I a claim that it's clearly not. This so what? Oh, you, I, I mean, I don't it? think it's an awkward laugh. I think it's a. I. I, I mean, I don't know why. I, I. I don't know why they're funny. I, I. I would object to your explanation, which is I'm misattributing no, hilarity because I feel because what is hilarity? That's hilarity not my explanation, is con- by the way. I was just explaining to you what the general right, view right. of okay, sorry. The view you I think it's actually a very poor, poor, like a very poor explanation too. Because hilarity just is that feeling. It's not something that. But anyway, with that clip, there's just I, I think the incongruity of it is very funny. First of all, it's you know it's James Franco and the world's about to end. And they're having this, you know, argument. I think the anger part of it is very funny, too. Like, just how pissed off Franco is, how pissed off McBride is, like, how indignant he gets that he's even being questioned for doing this. Like, it's just the incongruousness of that that I find funny. But, you know, even just talking about it is draining the humor out of it. <laughs> That's one of my favorite parts about studying humor, which is the opportunity to just dissect it until you're not laughing anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I should study being a dick then. <laughs> if I took it. So <laughs> that, the wait. Out of it. I, but there's a similar question about sex, which Nina and I have talked about a bit, which is why, why do some fetishes involve gross things? And, like, you could imagine that it's something similar, like a, the arousal actually makes the pleasure intent, more intense. Then there's the more interesting possibility, which is that, you know, sex I- involves disgusting acts and fluids, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just... Nina's face when she said <laughs> Well, sex, in case you need a reminder, is a tumor 
and a wound are violently combined in a vital act to produce fresh life itself redolent of death. Calls a penis a tumor. That's so <laughs> ridiculous. Is that like his pillow talk? I'll show you my tumor if you show me your wound. Well, listen, I mean, it's called a gash. I don't call it that. <laughs> but so, but this is an interesting view. So like, it's true in order to have sex, you have to override like the just inherent grossness of like the fact that you have other bodies and fluids and yeah, and, bodies, and, multiple yeah. other bodies usually. Yeah. But does that explain why you would seek out gross things when you are aroused? Is it just like all of a sudden you have the power to not be disgusted? So you're like, cool, let's do this. Well- well, right. So this actually suggests that that's not a sufficient explanation. So maybe what happens is once we're past a certain threshold of sexual arousal, these stimuli, which are usually disgusting, become arousing. And disgust-related stimuli uh, then become a source of sexual pleasure instead of aversion. So we want to do it. Nina and I want to do a study on this. Well, well, yeah, well, we are doing <laughs> We don't want to do a study. We are doing yeah. a study. <laughs> I, I should say then that what I really want for this package of studies is to use those measures of arousal, the penile plethysmography and whatever the yeah. girl version is called. I always forget. What's it called? Wait, the what? Uh, what? what? I, I, I don't understand a word that you guys are saying for the last two minutes. Uh, sorry. Science. <laughs> so there's there's these two measures for uh, psychophysiological arousal in men and women, and they're yeah thanks thanks. So uh, one of them one of them is uh, for the one for men measures penile tumescence, which is how much blood flow um, is in the penis, and it's it's basically just it measures like the pressure. It's like you put a cock ring on it. It's a know. cock ring with a little wire it's sticking co- out of it. Yeah, that's a cock ring. That's right. <laughs> so you could do it at home. This is for science, babe. But that's not gonna. <laughs> That won't be good for my two messages if I have a if I have a, like an electric ring of people reading it. That's I, I think that's going to harm my two messages. Don't knock it until you've tried it. <laughs> All right. Yeah, in the studies though, everyone has has it on, so I mean, it hurts everyone's two messages equally. So at least. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, then the woman's one uh, is different. It measures lubrication levels. It's like this tampon thing. It, it looks like a remote control tampon. It's just unclear to me what it's remote controlling. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> it's like a yeah. wire sticking out of a tampon. Yeah. Uh, but both of these are reliable measures of arousal. And what? <laughs> 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 just, you're just going to have to accept that as fact. Uh, yeah, and- is- but obviously both of these are reliable <laughs> Measure of arousal. <laughs> they are. They are. In fact, yeah, you know, one of the what, what was the experiment that showed that they are reliable measures of arousal? Oh, there's been a ton. In fact, one of the one of the biggest ways in which the measure of penile tumescence is used is it's controversial, but it's used to predict uh, recidivism in pedophiles. So they show they show criminals uh, pedophiles. Uh, pictures of kids, sexual, sexualized pictures of children, and they use this measure. And if they show arousal to these, in some states, they actually use this as evidence against parole. Yeah. That's not evidence that it works. That's just evidence that people think it works. No, no. But but it's just – there's so it not also the evidence. Show- it's just an accurate measure of how hard your dick is, dude. Like I don't – like it's just one so it also – if you, it also correlates with people's self-report of how hot a like pornographic image is or oh, a video. All right. So, what's the experiment that you guys want to do now that I have that background information? <laughs> uh, we're going to show them porn. Uh, we're also going to show them, I think, disgusting imagery, uh, and we're going to see if 
when they look so if you show someone disgusting imagery right in the beginning and then show them a bunch of porn that might be a, a like a turnoff right because you're grossed out and then you know you disengage but what happens if we put that disgusting imagery at the end um, after you've already become sexually aroused I don't know maybe it doesn't hurt your enjoyment as much maybe it even enhances it a little bit um, these are open questions right okay so I have a question for Tamler so your your favorite porn images are flashing on the screen we okay. have we're measuring you how did you know that they were? Do you have like uh... <laughs> We hacked into your computer. <laughs> we hacked into the British <laughs> Registry of Porn. Where you David Cameron. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yes, I, I'm, ima- I'm, quote, imagining that my favorite porn <laughs> images are on the screen. Yes. Um, and, then, and then we were sufficiently convinced that you're aroused because we know. And then, uh, and then we flash – like, let's start with this one. We flash something that you're really not into, a sexual act that you're really not into, but it's sexual. Do you think that you might be a little more open to, like, looking at that? Uh, like, I mean, pre- it depends what it is. Let's pretend you don't like gay porn. Let's, pre- let's pretend that you don't like man-on-man porn. And so we've shown you something that's <laughs> really, really, pre- you know, hypothetical. Yeah, like would, I, would I get into awesome. gay porn? I don't think so. How about would you be less? Would you be less quick to switch? I don't know. I think I'd be pretty quick to switch. (laughs) I'm really one of those people. You know, I love gay people. My best friend, blah blah blah. But uh, I don't like. You know, I just don't want to see the porn. (laughs) Dan Ariely has um, a study that's very much like this, Um, and they actually showed. I think for every every kind of. Uh, weird, like they had like uh, a few fetishes and other kind of um, sexual things that people usually say that they're not into when they're in a, a psychologically cold state, right? Like uh, having sex with old people or having sex with children or having sex with animals uh, or or same sex, right? Yeah. And after people were aroused, they actually said that they that these uh, they'd be more interested in potentially trying doing them. I think everything ex- except for uh, the gay. Okay, yeah. experimenting. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah. that sounds right. I mean, sex with animals is always something that I'm. As long as it's an opposite it, but... sex animal. <laughs> <laughs> you had sex with a male pig. Oh, gross. <laughs> so you're going. To, your prediction is that I'm going to be less disaroused or something like that once I've seen the. Well, yeah. What's the um, prediction? The prediction is that actually, so there's a few different uh, things that we can measure here, but one of them actually is not about is about uh, yeah, it's about the ratings of the porn and not of the of the new disgusting image. So is the disgust imagery actually making you more aroused when you see porn that comes after it? Oh, okay. So we show you something gross and then show you porn again. Ah. Like, did that sweeten the deal? <laughs> now you're even more. Now you're just grateful. Right, it's we tricky. have to talk about the possibility of a contrast of a effect. Contrast, but, right. So yeah. we might have to show like other negative images or something. Right. Right. Oh, well, look, we're building a study as we speak. I want be. I want my name on this, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, you're gonna be the. You're gonna be the first author. Right. Uh, so the other prediction, I think, was what we said before that that being shown poor, uh, disgusting things first will actually make it will, will dampen the sexual arousal. That's sort of a less interesting. Uh, right. Yeah, but it was nice if you get that interaction effect. Yeah. Um, and then it would be so ultimately. I mean, there's so there's a mystery here that we want to be solving. It's not as if we're just like, well, this is interesting to study. I mean, it is interesting, um, but there is a I think a, an interesting question of 
why is it that there's so much of this disgusting porn to begin with? Why does it seem to be so popular? Not, you know, obviously for us sophisticated porn viewers, <laughs> um, but for, you know, the heathens who like all the really, really dirty stuff. Yeah. Um, why is that why is that appealing? It would be great to get stats because I always wonder how popular those like crazy porn sites are, you know, like like the ones that that are from Germany. <laughs> <laughs> the ones never go to a website that ends in .de if you're looking for porn or .shiza. <laughs> is that is that a top level domain now? <laughs> .shiza. Because they ran out of .de so they had <laughs> Should we take a break and then come back and talk about moral self? <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a nice contrast. We'll be right back. This shit. I don't feel nothing. Nothing. Dead. Empty. What else? Before we get started on part two, just a reminder that you can see all episode notes and links at our website, verybadwizards.com. And there you can also support us by clicking on the support tab. There are a couple of ways of doing it. You can do your shopping through Amazon, where we'd get a small portion if you click through our link, or you can donate via PayPal. Um, We appreciate all the support. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We're talking with the uh, ever fascinating fountain of wit and knowledge that is Nina. Uh, oh man, Tamarack. Uh, uh, name. <laughs> we want to talk about this work that you have with Sean Nichols, uh, which I think is actually really just interesting. On what is it that makes you you? Right. What is it? What are what are the aspects of personal identity that seem most important? So philosophers talk about what is identity and they they come up with theories about uh, what it means to say that somebody is the same person over time. But you and Sean actually decided to to ask people, imagine a person who loses this faculty or this aspect of their personality. Is it still the same person? And so it's a it's a set of studies that Tamler and I both did our homework and, and we read. But I saw Nina present this stuff, too, at SPP. Uh, Society for Philosophy and Psychology, and it was a, it was an awesome talk. I got to say, um, not to kiss your ass. I believe too much. I believe during the the question and answer session, I got to tell you to fuck off. You did. Nina told me to fuck off. Nina, can you tell us about this study? So we have a bunch of studies at this point, actually, where um, we show that it looks like the mental trait that affects uh, personal identity continuity the most is uh, the moral uh, moral ability. So your moral behavior, your moral character, um, and your moral beliefs. Uh, and that's more important than any other uh, part of the mind, including memories, um, which is surprising in part because um, there's like hundreds of years of philosophical literature that say that episodic memories are personal narrative. That's really what constructs us and who we are. And if that's disrupted, that's what leads to identity uh, change. But at least when you ask from a third-party perspective, like who's different uh, who's more different? People say that it's of someone who has experienced moral change and not, you know, memory change or changes to their desires, changes even to their personality that are not related to morality, or changes to basic cognitive faculties, uh, including intelligence, actually. Can you give some examples of the things that you asked? 
In one study, uh, we said what would just happen if, you know, a part of the brain was knocked out, you know, Phineas Gage style, and they just either lost their moral compass or they became amnesic uh, or they uh, developed apathy, that is a lack of desires, or a visual object agnosia, that is they couldn't identify objects in the environment anymore, uh, and uh, which person is the most different from the person who used to be. Uh, and people overwhelmingly said that someone who lost their moral faculty is a person who's now not as, as, as much the same as before. And we've also done this in much more indirect ways. So actually the way that I uh, we originally came to start doing this was I was uh, watching a lot of X-Files episodes, you know, as one does. And... <laughs> As one does in, like, 1997. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it was on Netflix, so, you know, it had that modern twist. That's right. So this sort of binging on, on Netflix enabled me to have an insight, which was there was this genre of episode where someone's soul would hop from their body, their ghost, um, would leave their body and then transfer to a new body. And it would be, like, this monster, right? Like, sometimes it would be, like, a psychopath, or sometimes it would just be, like, a secret agent or whatever. And I, I noticed that during this transformation, some of the person's mental traits would get transferred over, but some of the traits wouldn't get trans- transferred. So so yeah. would it be that my soul hops into Tamler's body? Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, do I, I have my accent, yeah. or do I have Tamler's? Like, in, is that the kind of thing? Was there discontinuity right. in that sort of thing? There were, yeah, there were accent-type things, but the the thing that seemed most salient across these episodes, not that there were many of them, was that, you know, if it was, like, a criminal, and the criminal uh, mind would go over, or, like, the, the person with the good intentions would go over, uh, but they wouldn't necessarily bring all the all the memories. So the memories, they would sometimes forget. And have the memories of, like, the, the second body, the new body. So if you, you could actually kind of view the soul, right, is our representation at a, a kind of a folk level of uh, the self at its very pith. Um, and so, I, I mean, the self at least a, this at is what very some... Pith? Like, you know, like Brad At its pith. very pith. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like pith and vinegar. Uh, so this is actually the question that David asked during the Q&A. As he said, mm-hmm. well... So what you're saying is, Nina, uh, if you were to wake up tomorrow and all of a sudden you were a nice person, does that mean I wouldn't recognize you anymore? <laughs> and I said, and I said, fuck you, David. <laughs> it was great. It was great for the crowd. We we, we really, I, yeah. it was a good. Because uh, it was real. They responded well to it. Actually. So compared to amnesia, compared to other physical traits that would change, it's the moral change in the, in, the, in the person that leads you to think that it's a different person. Does this work both ways? If the person becomes a worse person, you, you don't think it's the same person, worse person morally. But what about if the person becomes a better person morally? Yeah, so um, we've, uh, it, it doesn't appear to just be limited to, you know, um, deficits, um, but actually it also works if, you know, if you gain, if you have, like, good traits, including good um, moral traits. And actually, if I may be allowed to tell a story. You may. <laughs> actually, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about death on this program, um, but my <laughs> yeah. grandmother died yesterday, yeah. and she had very severe um, dementia. Uh, such that, you know, I, I mean, towards the end, she really didn't have a mind at all. Like, when you would visit her, it was like you were visiting a zombie, not like you were visiting even a person just who couldn't remember you. But there was a point before that when she first started showing signs of the dementia. Um, her whole life, she'd actually been a very uh, mean person. Like, she's not capable of really saying nice things to anyone. One of the first symptoms that she had was she just would, like, 
compliment people all the time. Uh, and and she was super sweet, super nice, very loving for the so, first time in her life. So that was when you knew that something was up when she started being nicer? Yeah, no, that well, that was one of the first, first of all, it was when we knew that something was up with, like, medically, I guess. But uh, more uh, kind of importantly to this particular point, um, it, it was it was as if she had disappeared. You know, even though she was, you know, I guess you, you could have seen it maybe as... Maybe she was hiding all those years, those sort of nice uh, feelings and thoughts but, that she'd had, and that that you know, as the brain deterioration had just left the that like happy, joyful thing at the center. But I don't, I don't really see it as that. Uh, I mean, at least the way it came across um, when you were interacting with her was this is not the same person. So it was like somebody else's soul had had just been implanted in yeah. her body or something like that. Yeah. But so, so there has to be a distinction though, because it's not as if when people sort of improve their character over time um, that we think of them as not them anymore. So all of these examples that you're giving have some artificial sense, uh, sort of discontinuity, which is still an interesting finding that artificial discontinuity of moral traits is the most important. But in and of itself, a change in, in your moral capacities over time, like say you improve your character, you become more patient and kind, you do like mindfulness meditation, and now you're actually a better person. We don't think that that's that you're no longer you, do we? We have a study where we show um, because this is, I mean, a natural question to ask, right? I have all these studies where you know someone souls are moving into other bodies and being reincarnated, or someone gets hit on the head, or someone takes a pill, um, and all those are um, artificial uh, and and in some ways, some of them, you know, extremely fictional stories. But in our last study, we have the sort of cognitive changes that go along with aging uh, naturally. So we sort of present this ser- scenario where we say there's this guy that you were friends with when you were 25 and now 40 years have gone by and you observe the following changes uh, and some of the changes are moral some of them are to memory some of them are to personality some of them are to preferences and so forth um, and some of the moral changes are positive let's see so he uh, became more spiritual or he became more forgiving he became more honest he became more generous uh, as well as uh, more negative things like he became uh, more racist or cruel or rude. People say uh, that every single one of those items makes you a more fundamentally different person than any other single uh, mental trait item, including all the personality trait items and all the memory items. I mean, that makes sense, right? You do say, look, I'm a different person now. I'm not the person I right. used to be. I didn't. Now I, I don't do drugs. I don't beat my wife. I've become a different person. People use that kind of language. Well, there's a, a- a wrinkle to this that I, that um, David might be it might be what David is getting at, which is maybe you're very changed, but maybe in some way, if you've improved yourself, you would think of yourself as achieving more of your, you know, authentic self. You know, even yeah. though you've changed radically, maybe you've kind of become closer to who you really are in some kind of really abstract way. When Darth Vader at the end, you know, when he's about to die and he commits like this one heroic act. Wait, Darth um, Vader dies? At the spoiler alert. Died at the end. <laughs> <laughs> it was a sled, actually. Um, <laughs> so Rosebud dies at the end? <laughs> when Rosebud, it was human meat. It's people. Uh, he... It's it, this a drastic moral change in an instant. Like he turns on the emperor, and you get this, and he ends up in like whatever Jedi heaven is, uh, like all glowing next to Yoda. Um, but that's a case where I think like there. So that's a case where I think it was like this willful decision to become a better person, 
what's carried over over the continuity is this sort of the agent who's deciding to change himself but also that he was once like that before per, oh yeah perhaps but we don't know that in those movies don't you know the that in the other ones i don't know i didn't see any of the you do ones. but like when when the first set of movies came out we didn't we didn't know that uh he used to be a good guy he's just presented as a villain the whole time right but either way those examples i think we don't all of a sudden say, well, the guy who died sacrificing his life for the greater good, even though he was a villain, like it was a different guy who died. I mean, we say we might say different, but we don't mean identity-wise. We just mean he possessed a very different set of traits. So, um, so you're, but it was so still Vader. This is a counterexample to Nina's theory. Yeah. Well, I want to hear what what she thinks about those examples. Well, I guess I would say I don't think it's a counterexample. Um, you do see him as radically changing. Um, but maybe you see that in, in this change, she's grown and become more like who he really is. But if it's about identity, I don't think it's he's no longer. I wouldn't say like like the great Gage quote that you open up that he was no longer Gage. I, I, yeah. I don't think I would say he's no longer Vader. I'd say oh, Vader actually changed quite a bit. Well, that's the second paper then. Damn. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, paper number two. Vader was no longer Vader. Nailed it. The, the other question that I had was, and this is actually the question that prompted our our interchange at the at the uh, conference, which is these. This makes sense to me from for third party judgments, but like Tamler, if you had to choose, uh, in one case, all your memories are wiped. Uh, in another case, you just go from being like a generally nice person to a complete asshole. Uh, which do you prefer? Which which one do you think would violate your sense of continuity more? So we're assuming, for the sake of argument, that I'm not an asshole now. <laughs> I was being very nice. Yeah, in that, that was that. that was weirdly <laughs> nice for you, actually. I'm well, worried I already if you're, used the joke on Nina. I'm worried if you're the same person. I have trouble with these kinds of questions. I I, I don't <laughs> like. I can't conceive of either of those things. And you know, if it's a question, which, which button would you press? I would probably pr- press the one where I lose my memories because I don't want to suddenly be an asshole to people. <laughs> but um, with all my memories, but I don't even know what that would be like. Why would I have my memories but always be an asshole? Like I, I, I have. Well, there I don't, are, I, there I, are I don't really, have intuitions on a question like that. But there are really cases like this, right? So there are really cases where people lose all of their autobiographical memories um and there are cases where certain brain damage turns people into assholes but they are actually have memories preserved right but the question is which would you rather have so i have to no which which one you would you feel is like would you would lose more of like which one is losing more of your identity Uh, okay well in that case i would say the 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 the, in keeping with nina's i don't want to say theory because that got me into trouble last time but (laughs) set of ideas declarative statements <laughs> yeah i would say that it's the one where i don't have my memories but i have my general same moral compass that i have right now i mean that abs- that absolutely is like i get being myself with no memories or different memories i don't get being myself but all of a sudden i'm a total dick in the way that i'm not currently a dick right now if there are such ways so here's my intuition. My intuition is that I actually shift in my moral capacities quite a bit throughout throughout the day or week. So sometimes I feel extra crabby and I'm rude, and sometimes I don't. And maybe it's not you know my stable moral qualities. I still view myself as generally a good person, as most people do. But um, my memories, like if I black out from a drug or alcohol, like I feel like wow, uh, that's like 
I feel like I've lost a gap of myself. Like, Well, I mean, there's a couple of points to make here. One is that um, people's perception, so your perception of, of other people and whether they're experiencing continuity may rely on a different set of principles altogether than your own personal conscious and Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Like, Leanne Young and I um, uh, have run a couple of studies where we show that people still say that even if it were me going through these changes, the moral changes would make me uh, more different than the memory changes. So that's consistent. And actually, there is all this work, uh, and I don't like know this work like super well, but where they go to people with different sorts of dementia uh, mm-hmm. and they ask them... Um, <laughs> like, do you feel like you're yourself still? But, you know, a, a huge confound here is anoagnosia, that is to say, uh, lack of awareness of the disease is comorbid with these forms of dementia. So most of these, like Alzheimer's patients, for example, and other sorts of patients with different forms of dementia, they're not aware that they have a problem or that anything has changed. So as yeah. far as they're concerned, they're the same person they always were. Right, right. That's a, that's a fundamental case in which you can't rely on self-report. That's right. So it's really only useful like before the fact like if you were trying to make an informed decision about what would happen in the future well thank you nina this has been a lot of fun what's your do you have like a website that we can show people your publications we'll post links to it but do you have a a website for art and publications and gross stuff um yeah it's nina strominger.com all right are you on twitter or anything like that I have a Dr. Jekyll account, but you'll never find it. She just puts on a pink wig and thinks that nobody knows. <laughs> and it's, it's Nina, but with a silent G at the beginning. <laughs> like lasagna. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nina. All right, so see you thanks, next time. Guys. Bye-bye. Just a very bad wizard.